السلام عليك زين الأنبياء بسم الله والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه الحمد لله These gatherings are truly feasts that we have to be ever so thankful to our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala for These meanings that we are being exposed to are the very highest of all meanings in existence There is nothing more important for us to reflect upon and to consider and to look closely at than these blessed meetings that are before us in these blessed gatherings. And that we attribute this to the great teachers, the great inheritors of our Prophet ﷺ, who are still on the face of this earth, their magnetic-like presence when you're around them, and around them even in spirit, not necessarily only in their presence, pull you towards what is truly high. These are people that understand intimately that what it means to that go for the ma'ali al-umur, the lofty matters, the high matters, the truly special matters. And that indeed our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala loves lofty matters. And that he detests subhanahu wa ta'ala lowly matters. The ma'ali al-umur are those affairs whereby which you and I that channel the wijha and the direction of our heart towards that relate to drawing near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in gatherings like this, that there are a trickle or a drop from a great ocean of the great imams who came before us that experience what it means to live in all of the affairs that are truly high by in nature is that people that live with high spiritual aspiration where their goal is from the morning to the evening to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to better their character and to acquire virtues and to do acts of goodness. And these are people that from the time that they wake up in the morning is that one of their very first intentions is to spend the entire day in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that they make big intentions that relate to ilm, knowledge, big intentions that relate to ibadah, big intentions that relate to da'wah, big intentions that relate to amal. All of these different aspects of our life, the various things that we do, the various types of worship that we do, the various types of service that we do, from the time that they wake up in the morning, their heart immediately places its trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get through that day and to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist them to do not only what is good but what is best. And at least they get the blessing of the intention from the time that it is that they wake up in the morning. And then these same people are people that reflect very deeply as that they are just about to go to sleep, all of their shortcomings during that day. And they repent to the Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala for the mistakes that they made and the sins that they committed and every time that they could have done something else but they did something that they shouldn't have done, is that these are the people that we want to resemble. These great men and women of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that dedicated their lives to their Lord that dedicated their lives to that doing what will draw them near to their Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as much as we repeat this, this is something that the heart knows. When you talk about what it means to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not close to Allah ta'ala in any spatial sense. Is that we are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our hearts. And what it means to be close to Allah ta'ala in our hearts is that we find intimacy in and we take great joy in the meanings of dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that if you find that your heart is hard and that you're thinking about other things when you remember Allah ta'ala and that you don't find that your heart enjoys this, this is a sign that's as a symptom 
that we need to work on our hearts and purify them so that when Allah's name is mentioned, when His beloved is mentioned, this is something that we take joy in. This is something that we find intimacy in. So that when we say, La ilaha illallah, is that we know what that means. And we fight great intimacy in knowing that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah. And then we keep saying, La ilaha illallah. And we come to know that nothing is sought except Allah. And we keep saying, La ilaha illallah, until we come to know that nothing truly exists except Allah. And we keep saying, La ilaha illallah, following the footsteps and hoping that one day we can be among the ranks of those who witness that nothing is actually witnessed except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there's so many other meanings that are combined in this negation, in this affirmation, is that nothing is truly loved except Allah, and intimacy is not except anything except in that the remembrance of Allah, and so forth and so on. There's so many different meanings there. And then we hear these amazing stories of the people who came before us, is that this is their sustenance. This is that what enabled them to do what other people couldn't do is because they found intimacy in the words of Allah and in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we might think at times that this is far-fetched, that how are you and I going to attain this in this busy world? But you and I always have to remember is that Allah is Allah and a saqi is baqi. The saqi is baqi. The one who gave these great gifts and spiritually irrigated the people who came before us is the everlasting. He remains subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is Allah. What we have to do is to redirect our hearts to recognize who we are in relation to Allah. Nothing. And that if we rely upon ourselves is that we will always fall short. But if we rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will always achieve what it is that is possible for us to achieve in the highest degrees of what it is possible for us to achieve. Gatherings like this are supposed to remind us of these meanings. And if we listen very carefully, and it's not about anyone that's here, it's about those that are behind this gathering. And the unbroken chain back to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam is that the meanings of these gatherings did not just come out of right field. They did not just appear in a void or in a vacuum. Is that they came with one of the strongest change in existence back to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That person upon person upon person upon person back to the Prophet himself sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that is very meaningful. And this is quite precisely what so the world, but even Muslims have lost. We have lost this connection. And if your tree is uprooted, how are you going to get nutrients so that you can survive? Is it when the winds of tribulation blow? But if your roots are deep, buried deep through your chain of transmission, back to the Prophet ﷺ, is it how can any wind of tribulation ever blow you down? On the contrary, is that you will be able to withstand to the degree that you have your roots spread deep in the earth. And then is that as I was exposed to this that beautiful book recently, and have only started reading it and hope to read more, is that how the other trees actually help one another, and how that the root systems become interconnected, and how the very branches themselves is that they start to touch, and it forms what is like a community. 
and that each one of which combined is protecting each individual tree and everything that grows underneath them from all these other things that happen and all these other cycles that have to take place, whether it be a storm or whether it be some type of natural disaster, is that they create a microclimate within and that all of the other forms of life and plants and animals that are protected as a result of those trees coming together. And when we think about this, it reminds us of the importance of community, but in order for us to really be successful members of that community, to be like those trees that are in that other that system of trees and community of trees that have come together, is that we always have to maintain character. Is that character, ihsan, is the glue of relationships. It is the bond of communities. And if we can commit to having good character and that raising the bar a little bit where we're not just giving our brother or our sister their basic rights. We have to give that to every Muslim on the face of this earth. But we need to go a little bit beyond that. Because communities are not built with that simply the basics of the do's and the don'ts. Is that communities become strong and their roots become deep when there's ihsan. And to the degree that there is ihsan is the, to the degree which that that community or that relationship or that bond between one or two or several people will be strong. And this is why that we constantly remind ourselves of these meanings of futuwa and these individual things that we do. There are so many different meanings of futuwa that collectively this great concept represents the prophetic way. Each one of these examples that we're talking about, woman in Futua, it is from Futua, and we've been doing this for months, is to tie this into this great concept of this way of life that you and I want to live. It's hopefully supposed to inspire us so that it's not just goes one in, year, in, year, in one ear and out the other, is that we actually take this seriously, and we actually try to put this into practice, and that if something happens tonight or tomorrow or in one of the upcoming days or even next week, is that the hope is, is that we remind ourselves, not because of the one speaking, because of the source that it comes from, is that this source is one of the greatest sources of all these great imams, is that if you would just take one of them and know what it is that they would have experienced, is that you would imagine, you couldn't imagine that there's anyone like them that in any prophetic community. And what about there being hundreds and thousands of people like this, many of their works that are still here with us for us to benefit from. So in this regard, the next etiquette of Futuwa that reminded of women in Futuwati, Al-Iftaru ala surur al-Ikhwan. It is from Futuwa to break your non-obligatory fast to make your brothers happy. Look at that. That's amazing. And it's a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ that says, إِذَا دَخَلَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَخِيهِ الْمُسْلِمِ if one of you goes to visit, literally enters upon his brother Muslim, فَأَرَادَ إِنْ يُفْتِرْ فَالْيُفْتِرْ And his brother wants him to break his fast, let him break his fast. إِلَّا أَنْ يُكُونَ صُمُهُ ذَلِكَ رَمَضَانِ Unless, of course, he's fasting in Ramadan. أَوْ قَضَاءَ رَمَضَانِ Or he's making up a day that of Ramadan. أَوْ نَذْرًا Or it is a fast, he's fasting to fulfill a vow that he made to fast. Because those are all obligatory fasts. So if it's an obligatory fast, you can't break your fast. But look at this. This is our Prophet is teaching us, you're fasting for Allah. And that one of the reasons fasting is special is because of the way you're able to maintain your sincerity when you fast. Because it's between you and Allah. That it's an ibadah, a form of worship that is about talk. You're abandoning certain things. 
and the vast majority of people aren't going to know what it is that you're abandoning. This is one of the great meanings behind that the reward of fasting coming directly from Allah Jalla Jalalu. But despite that, is that the sunnah is you're fasting for Allah, is that if it would make your brother or your the sister happy for you to break their fast, you break your fast for Allah to make your brother or sister happy. That is amazing. <clears throat> to that extent, we actually consider people's feelings. Is that we will stop fasting even if it's late asr. Even if it's late asr, it's still sunnah to break your fast. As long as it's not an obligatory fast. That is incredible. And it's to this degree that we put other people's feelings first. Even if it means that we break something that is that we're doing as form of worship with our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is in this regard that some of the ulama say, is that all of your awrad, all of your litanies, you can do qada'ah, you can make them up at another time. Except the litany of da'wah. And you could translate that is service. Any time where there's a moment to serve, whether that's hosting a guest, whether that's taking care of someone, whether that is doing something that needs to be done, that someone needs you to accomplish something, but you say, no, I have to do my weird. No, in that moment, it's better for you to leave your weird and to lead your litany, whether it's recitation of Quran or whether it is a compilation of prophetic invocations or whether it's some other that form of litany, you leave that for that moment. And that's, you're doing what's better with Allah. Jalla Jalla. And what you're going to get from doing that is greater than what you would have gotten or what you think you would have gotten from not doing that. All of the awrad can be made up except those. So this should remind us is that in those moments where there's a call to duty in that sense, where we have to step up and do something, is that serving takes precedence. Serving takes precedence. And the etiquette there always is that we see ourselves as the ones who need to serve. The deen is not in need of us. We are in need of the deen. The deen does not need us to serve. Yes, there's people who are means of preservation. But if we don't do it, Allah will get rid of us and He will bring other people. We will be replaced. But service is, we are the ones who need service. And that service, one of the great fruits of it, it's one of the quickest ways of all to receive futuhat. To receive spiritual openings from Allah Jalla Jalalu. And that this is the way of people of La ilaha illallah in general. This is the way of the companions. And this is the way especially of the Turuk of the Sufiyah. The great spiritual paths that laid down all of these different methodologies, all of which are valid to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the bedrock of these methodologies in particular, is one of service. Because it's also a great way to break your nafs. And the scholars of this science, it is by consensus, is that the greatest veil between us and Allah Jalla Jalalu is our own ego. It's our own nafs. It's the greatest enemy of all. It's worse than 70 shaitans. Allah says about the plot of shaitan, is that in the case of shaitan, the plot of shaitan is ultimately weak. Is that once you learn how to fortify your heart and you learn his madakhil, his points of entrance, you can close them. You can overcome him very easily. It doesn't take long to learn about the talbis of Iblis. 
and his host and his minions who are doing his work, whether they be in human form or whether they be in the unseen. But your nafs is not easy to overcome because it's you. It's an enemy that you don't see and he's like a spy that gives information to shaitan so he knows exactly what door to enter in. But this is the perspective you and I have to have. And one of the greatest ways to do this is to serve so that we can break our nafs. And then when you serve, is that one of the greatest tests when you serve ultimately is to have still people complain even though that you're serving and not even recognize what it is that you've done. And you're tempted to tell them, but I did this, but I did that. But you can't. Look at our deen. Reminding someone of what you've done is also haram. Men is haram. And it nullifies your reward to remind someone of a charity that you've done or some type of service of some sort. So look at the door that then opens up. And then, is that on top of all of that, that it might even reach the point where people attack you. And this is where you have to remind yourself of why you are doing what you did in the first place. If you're doing this for people, you won't last long. You'll last for a very short period of time. And when you can't take people's criticism anymore, you'll go your separate way. If you're doing your service for Allah Jalla Jalalu, is that you will actually be thankful to Allah from the standpoint of the haqiqah, from the reality, is that when people criticize you, it's an opportunity for you to attain the highest degree of sincerity with your Lord. Because if you look at your heart and you become disillusioned about serving, then it's a sign that you weren't sincere in the first place. Or your heart is still tainted. But if you find that you still are able to withstand it, and you respond in the way that you're supposed to respond. These meanings are not easy, but we have to struggle with ourselves, and we have to wrestle with ourselves. One of the things we're going to be learning about, when we learn about patience and gratitude, but patience in particular, where Imam Ghazali is going to speak about the ba'ath of the deen, and the ba'ath of the shaitan. And you have like this religious impulse, and the religious drive. And on the other hand, that you have the demonic impulse, and how the heart is like a battlefield. He actually uses the word wrestle. Is that you're constantly in a wrestling match between these two impulses. Which one are you going to let get the better of you? And that this is why that it requires is that we work hard and that we struggle and we strive for it. And then the next etiquette is, and we'll end on this, وَمِنِ الْفُتُوَّةِ حُسْنُ الْإِشْرَةِ وَالْمُلَاعَبَةِ مَا الْإِخْوَانِ وَالْبِشَرْ مَعْهُمْ Look at all of these beautiful things that we combine. That there's times of seriousness, yes, but then there's times where we're not supposed to be serious. We're supposed to be very lighthearted and easygoing. And to, it's okay to actually laugh. Yes, a religious person can actually laugh. And even though the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ was he didn't laugh with a voice or a sound, ﷺ, is that that is from his kamal ﷺ. So it is from Futuwa to be good towards your brothers. Husnid Ishra. When you interact with them, just be good. Be easygoing. That do good things. Do things to make people happy. But walmulaaba, which literally means to be playful. You could say, remain light-hearted with them. Is it actually be playful? The Sahaba used to throw watermelon rinds at each other. They would play jokes on each other. The Prophet himself 
that with Sayyidah Aisha, there's a narration that I came across recently, is that there'd be times where he'd be playful with her. We all know the ones about the racing and so forth, but there was another narration that indicates is that there'd be times where the Prophet would push Sayyidah Aisha to see who was going to get through the door first. Can it Right? They would like be both be heading towards the door and he'd like kind of push her out of the way and when she tried to beat him to like get through the door. And that the point was he was just being playful. And he was doing something that to make them laugh. We should be like this with our children. We should be like this with our friends. And that as long as we know that we're not joking about something that is sensitive and related to them. It's something that we know is not going to hurt their feelings. This is good. We want to remain lighthearted. And this literally means to smile in their presence, but also the idea of being joyful in their presence. There is enough out there to make us despair. There is enough out there that we, when we come together, we don't want to be morbid. We want to come together and to talk about what is going to benefit us and to uplift us and to relieve a lot of these things that are stressing us out and causing us anxiety. And that if we come together and we're just complaining and we're just talking about our problems, yes, if you have an issue, talk to someone about it. But for the most part, we want our gatherings to be light. We want them to lift a burden from us. And then there's a hadith that narrated by a daily that says, Allah Ta'ala detests the one who frowns in the face of his brothers. And unfortunately, that we might think of images of certain people. That unfortunately, that they think it's from religion just to frown. And they've completely must understood that you're supposed to be stern with disbelievers. Right? Well, believers, you're supposed to be humble and merciful. And even the meaning of being stern with disbelievers doesn't mean that you frown in their faces. It means that you don't let the kufr of the kafir seep into your heart. But in front of your brothers, Allah detests this. For you to frown. And He wants us, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be light-hearted and to be joyful and to smile and to create love and to create bonds and everything of this nature so that we can do what it is that we are created to do. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us tawfiq in this blessed month of Rajab. Allahumma barakna fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa ballagna Ramadan. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala prepare us all inwardly and outwardly for the blessed month of Ramadan and to start reorienting our hearts so that that first night of Ramadan doesn't come except that our hearts in this state were able to receive the divine gaze, were able to receive the mercy of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and it will be from those who move up the degrees of those who are released from the fire. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq in all of our different affairs and to bring a quick shifa and afiyah to that our dear Uncle Omar Abdul Aziz to make everything easy for him and his family and to restore his health. Ya Rabbi and the brother of Dr. Zephyr and all of those who have that sick ones in your family. May Allah ta'ala restore their health and to bless them with afwal Ya Rabbi Adameen to give us